Do not ever let anybody hinder you from walking in the truth of the gospel. Let me say that again before we get started. Do not let anyone ever hinder you from walking in the truth of the gospel. And the reason, the reason that that passage is in Galatians, if you look at Galatians uh, 1.6, Paul said to the Galatian Christians, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you into Christ's gospel unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that would deceive you that would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was telling these Christians, these Galatian Christians, he was saying, you know, we just started these churches. It probably was a matter of a few years. I don't know the exact time frame. I haven't looked it up. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed. In other words, he's saying, we just preached Jesus Christ to you. You just received Jesus Christ by faith. You just received the Holy Spirit. And, the, and th this truth is in that Galatian um, epistle. You just received the Holy Spirit by faith. And now these false teachers, because whenever Paul and Peter and John and James, the other apostles, whenever they would preach the truth of the gospel and churches would be established and people would get saved, false teachers, false apostles, false teachers sent by Satan would come behind the truth of the gospel and they would plant false teachings. So if you look at Galatians, I don't have a Bible open to it right now, but I can, let's see, here's a Bible right here. If you look at Galatians, and I'm going to read it for a second and then we'll get started. If you look at Galatians, the beginning of the chapter, we talked about this on Thursday. If you look at Galatians, and if you go to chapter one and verse six, excuse me. I just ate breakfast, so excuse me. If I... Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. In other words, it's not another. It's not a true gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And so the reason we talked about that passage on Thursday night is because we're talking about how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After we've studied 1 John, which we studied 1 John for a couple of weeks. So now we're saying, okay, now that we've studied 1 John, which has five chapters, now that we studied 1 John, how do we take advantage of what we've studied? How do we grow in grace, and we use the word, we use the letters G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. How do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after we've studied First John? Because if, if we just study the Bible and then there's no application to our lives, we, we've just read a, you know, it's like just reading a good book. Oh, it was a good book. Oh, I read Roots or oh, I read uh, President Obama's, you know, autobiography or oh, I just... If we read the Bible and there's no practical application to our lives, then we're, then we're missing the whole point. The Bible says, it's in James, the Bible says if we hear God's word or read God's word, if we come into contact with God's word, and then we walk away from what we've heard or read or whatever the case may be, 
it's the same as looking in the, in the mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you saw in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, if you see something that needs to be changed or altered, uh, maybe you shaved this morning and let's say you, 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 you didn't shave the little hair that's growing out of your ears or whatever. If you, if you look in the mirror and, and see that um, you shave, but there's still some shaving cream, those of you um, men, if you shave your head or your, your beard, and, and sometimes if you're not careful, there's a little bit of shaving cream up in the crease of your ear. If you look in the mirror and see that that shaving cream is still up in the crease of your ear, then, then you need to get rid of it because you don't want to walk around with shaving cream inside your ear. So the Bible says if you walk away from what you saw, then what's the purpose of looking in the mirror? So the Bible calls the Bible, the Bible calls God's word, the perfect law of liberty. In other words, James was making that point. He's saying we are to be doers of God's word, not just hearers. We are to be doers of God's word, not just hearers. The Bible says faith comes by hearing Hearing by the word of God. Okay, but now that you've heard the word of God, what are you going to do with it? Now that we've studied 1 John, great, you know, all the books of the Bible are great. But 1 John is, is you know, I'm sure it's one of my top 10 favorite books of the Bible. Along with Re Revelation, Romans, Hebrews, John, the Gospel of John, etc. <clears throat> Ephesians, etc. Uh so now that we've heard the word of God, now that we've studied 1 John, now what? We are, we, we are obligated, we are commanded to grow. I've been saved that it'd be 41 years in May, May 20th to be exact. If I'm at the same spiritual stage on May 20th, 19, excuse me, 2020, that I was on May 20th, 1979 or 1980, then something is wrong. Some, there's something I didn't, I didn't do. Notice I said I didn't do. There's no fault in the Lord. It is the Lord's will that we grow in grace. He told Peter to tell us. It's in 2 Peter 3 and 18. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. It is the Lord's will that his children grow. If you have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, if your child, grandchild, or great-grandchild doesn't grow, if that child is four or five or eight and is still at the same mental capacity or still wearing the same clothing or still eating the same food that he or she was eating when he or she was first born or a few days or weeks or months old, something is wrong. There may, there's, a, there's a problem there. And, and there are some children who, who have those genetic or whatever um, uh, uh, deficiencies. But in the normal course of things. It is the will of God that we grow. We grow. The Bible says grow in grace. It does not say grow in legalism. Legalism does not cause us to grow. Man-made religion does not cause us to grow. The Bible says grow in grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace, but notice he says, and the knowledge, glory to God. Grow in grace and the knowledge. Knowledge comes through inquiry. Knowledge comes through Bible study. 
Knowledge comes through spending time with the Lord in prayer. Knowledge also comes through experience, through living the life of the Christian, etc. So Peter said, grow in grace and the knowledge. Several times in the Gospels, the apostles, especially Paul, would say, I don't want you to be ignorant. He would speak to the Corinthians or whoever. And he would say, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning such and such. And then he would talk about something like the Lord's Supper or something like that. He would say, I don't want you to be ignorant. I would not have you to be ignorant. See, just because we are Christians doesn't mean that this, this information is going to automatically filter into us, into us by osmosis. It's not going to happen. You have to inquire. You have to ask. You have to be like the Thessalonian Christians. I believe it's Acts 17, 11. You have to inquire. If you hear me or somebody else teach you or preach to you, you have to inquire. Don't just take, don't just take my word for it. I want you to believe me. I want you to believe that I'm a man of God and that I'm sincere I want you to, but don't just take my word for it. You inquire. Don't just take my word or the other preacher. Don't just take your pastor's word for it. It doesn't mean your pastor is not an honest man or honest woman. It doesn't mean your pastor is not full of integrity, but you got to study yourself. Because one day the Lord might want you to be a pastor. <laughs> he might want you to be a bishop. He might want you to be an evangelist. He might want you to be a, a missionary. He might want you to be a secondary apostle. There are no foundational apostles anymore. They're all dead. They laid the foundation of the church 2,000 years ago. But he might want you to be a secondary apostle. He might want you to be a Sunday school teacher. He might want you to teach at a Christian school. He might want you to lead your family by example and by the word of God. You can't do that if you don't have the biblical foundation. So the Bible says, grow, grow, grow. And, and I keep saying this and I'll say it again. Then we'll pray and, and we'll, 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 we'll um, have our lesson for the day. It is a sad thing to leave a church and then you come back to that church. Let's say your childhood church or whatever, or a church you were a member of or whatever. And you come back 20 years later and the same people to, the, to a certain extent, the same people are in the church and they're in the same spiritual condition. You can often tell just by being around them for a little while. They're in the same spiritual condition that they were 20 years ago. Something, 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 something went wrong. And it's not the Lord. I keep saying, you can't blame the Lord. The, the Lord would not leave somebody at the same spiritual state for 20, 30 years. The Lord is not going to do that. The Lord wants growth because growth produces fruit. A tree that was planted, uh, a tree that was planted on April first, twenty twenty, that tree is not expected to produce fruit. But if you come back to that same tree in twenty years or thirty years, that tree should be producing fruit. You know, Jesus cursed the fig tree. You know what? But I don't want. I don't want to get off into the different commentaries about why he cursed the fig tree, but. Jesus saw the fig tree and it wasn't producing fruit. And I don't want to get off into their different, you know, commentaries about, you know, it, re it wasn't time to produce the figs. I don't want to get off into that. That, that. that'd get us off into a whole different subject. But he saw the fruit. He saw the fig tree, which is very predominant in uh, Israel. He saw the fig tree and it wasn't producing figs and he cursed it. <laughs> Where are the figs? Done it. Where are the figs? When you invest your money, you expect your money to pay dividends. 
You don't invest your money in a 401k or whatever, which I think is a kind of a dangerous investment because your 401k is at the whims of the stock market. But that's another story for another day. But you don't invest your money and just say, you don't invest $10,000 and expect $10,000 back. You invest $10,000, you want to get at least a couple hundred or a thousand more. People invest so they can reap dividends. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual principle as well as a natural principle. You invest so you can reap from your investment. That's, that's, why, that's why people invest in certain things. There are people who make investments and they, uh, they, they, they have, um, what do you call them, uh, the different uh, um, banking programs, not the 401k, there's another one, I can't think of it right now, Seed, um, um, certificates of deposit and things like that. People are looking for, people are investing in real estate. They invest in real estate, they buy a, a home, they might pay $100,000 for the home. They might put $50,000 into the $100,000 home. And then they sell the home. They try to sell the home for $200,000, $225,000, whatever. They're, they're looking to make a profit. Well, guess what? God wants to make a profit off of us. <laughs> not, a, not a monetary profit, but a spiritual profit. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the opportunity to come together, to worship together virtually online. We come to you because you are the only true and living God. You are the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion. We pray, Lord, that the preaching and teaching that would take place not only from this ministry, but from uh, ministries all over the world. We pray that fruiting gifts of the Holy Spirit will be the result. We pray for those churches that love you, that really love you, Lord, those pastors, those leaders, those members who really love you. We pray that you will sustain them in every way possible, financially, spiritually. We pray that pastors will, by your Holy Spirit, be able to keep their flocks together. For it is your church, Lord. You have only made those pastors under shepherds. You are the chief shepherd. You are the good shepherd. You are the great shepherd. You are the chief shepherd. We bless you. We praise you through Jesus Christ. Help me to speak the truth to your people. Lord, please help me to speak the truth, not just my opinion, but the truth of the gospel. Help me, Lord, that your people may grow in grace and the knowledge of your Lord, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your dear son, who was crucified, Lord, through weakness, voluntary weakness but raised by your glorious power. Thank you, Lord. You raised him from the dead, set him at your own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named in this world and the age to come. Thank you, Lord. And he dwells within us, Lord, by faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us also the earnest of our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us by Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, so anyway, so we left off um, on Friday, on Thursday, I should say, because we changed the day of our program. We left off uh, in 1 John. We were in chapter 2 talking about how do we grow in grace. So we're not going through 1 John again. We're going through, we're saying how do we grow as a result of having studied 1 John. So that's where we are right now. Okay, so here we go.
We must be in agreement. This Here I'm talking about true believers, those who believe in Jesus. So if a person is not believing in Jesus, that their first step has to be trusting in Christ for their personal salvation. Lord, I trust that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that, uh, that the Father bodily raised you from the dead. But here I'm talking about those who are already believers, those who have trusted in Christ, whether you've been saved a week or 40 years. We must be in agreement with the Holy Spirit and expose the spirit of Antichrist. The Bible says the spirit of Antichrist, John said this about 2,000 years ago. He said the Antichrist has not yet come, the capital A, Antichrist. He said the Antichrist has not yet come. But John said the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. John said, whereby we know it's the last time, meaning the last days. We've been in the last days since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the establishment of the New T Testament church on the day of Pentecost. We've been in the quote unquote last days. See, in the Bible, the last days can run hundreds or thousands of years. So when we when we think about the Bible, especially prophetically, and it says this is the last hour, don't think 60 minutes. <laughs> don't do that. The last hour, speaking prophetically, could be hundreds of years. As it, as now, we are we are about two thousand years removed from when John, because John wrote this about a hundred A.D., or about sixty-five years after the resurrection of Jesus. So we're talking about a period of almost two thousand years. John said, John said that Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many antichrists, and whereby we know we are in the last days. Now, what does that have to do with growing in grace? We grow in grace when we agree with the Holy Spirit and expose the spirit of antichrist, the spirit of this age. Uh, the, the King James Bible will say world, but if you look that word up in the Greek, it's the word cosmos. We spell cosmos with a C. But in the Greek, they're going to spell it with a K, K-O-S-M-O-S. -S. It means age, this age, not the physical earth, the trees, the rivers, the oceans, etc., the birds and the bees and all that. This age, We are living in the age of Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. Now, what do I mean by the spirit of Antichrist and how do we expose it? Do we go around, you know, knocking on people's doors saying, are you the spirit of Antichrist? No, we, we don't do that. We expose the spirit of Antichrist. Well, first, let me tell you, the spirit of Antichrist would be any teaching, any belief, any system, any religious system, any political system, anything that denies who Jesus Christ is. Because the word anti, as you know, means against. Antichrist, anti-aircraft, an anti-aircraft gun is against that aircraft and is trying to shoot it down, Right. So anti, I think there's a, I think there's a, a political organiz organization called Antifa. I think that means anti-fascism, against fascism, Antifa. So anti means against, so against Christ. Or anti also can mean instead of. So antichrist can mean against Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the, the, the Jesus of the Bible. Or it can mean instead of present another Christ instead of the biblical Jesus. Remember, remember what Paul said? I read the Galatians passage to you. And Paul said in Galatians, he said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who called you into God's grace. Uh, 
Uh, I'm, 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 well, see, I'm messing up. Let, let me let me go back to it. Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Without saying it, that's Paul, that's the end. That's the spirit of Antichrist. He's saying there are some who trouble. Paul is saying, we preached Jesus unto you, Galatians. We preached Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, bodily resurrected, coming again in power and glory. We preached, we preached Jesus Christ unto you, but false teachers came behind us and tried to present another Jesus unto you. So that is the spirit of, Paul doesn't use the word antichrist, but he, he, it's the same idea. John uses the word antichrist against Christ another Christ. And so how do we expose it today? We expose the spirit of Antichrist by ourselves presenting the true and living Jesus, the Jesus of the cross. You see, a, a Jesus that's being presented today is not the Jesus of the cross. There's, I was, I was talking to a pastor recently. I was interviewing him as part of my doctoral, um, dissertation requirements and we got to talking and we got to talking about how in many churches today a crossless christ is being presented to the people a crossless christ a crossless christ is not a biblical jesus in other words today much of the teaching is trying to bypass the cross and and much of the teaching today is trying to and it successfully, unfortunately, is trying to present to the people a Jesus without the cross of Calvary. Uh, a soda pop Jesus. Uh, a Mr. Softy. I don't, I don't know if you might not be old enough to remember Mr. Softy, that ice cream truck that would come around and play that music. And you would run out of your house, get some change from your parents, and you'd run out of your house to get a banana boat. That was my favorite, a banana boat. So a Mr. Softy Jesus is a Jesus who appeals to our spiritual sweet tooth. That's the Jesus, and not in all cases. There are many churches today, there are many churches today who are being faithful to the preaching of, of Jesus, of, of the cross. In other words, much of what is being taught today is a sacrifice-less gospel. The true gospel, the biblical gospel, the biblical Jesus includes the cross, includes Jesus said, now watch this, because God is not hard up. God is not desperate. Jesus said, don't even think about following me if you're not going to bear my cross. Jesus is not hard up for numbers. We become desperate for numbers because it makes us look good. One of the first things we often say about a, a pastor, oh, he, he took the church from 29 members to 29,000 members. That's one of the first things we say because we get impressed. We get impressed with the numbers. It's human nature. We get impressed with numbers, right? Jesus said, don't even think about following me if you're not going to take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, don't even think about following me if you're not going to be willing to suffer with me. If you suffer with me, Jesus said, you'll rule with me. If you deny me, 
Jesus said, I'll deny you in the presence of my father and his holy angels. So the, the Christ that's often being presented today is a Mr. Softy. <laughs> that's the best analogy I can think of now. That ice cream truck with that. I remember I used to get the banana boat and I would put all that syrup on the, uh, it, there would be a banana boat. It would have like chocolate, vanilla, strawberry ice cream. It would have some bananas on each side with some nuts. And then I would put, and oh, it would have some pineapple, little pineapple bits in it. And then I would take that little chocolate syrup and I would put all the little, you know, with all that chocolate syrup around it. That, that, that's, a, in other words, it appealed to my sweet tooth. Well, that's a Jesus that's being presented today in many cases. Not in all, but in many cases, a Mr. Softy Jesus. He, the Jesus who appeals to our, our sweet tooth. Uh, a, a sugary gospel. A gospel that appeals to our sugar high. You know, you get that sugar high. I remember growing up, we used to eat uh, sugar sandwiches. Glory to God. I'm surprised I'm still alive. I'm surprised I'm not diabetic. We used to eat sugar sandwiches. We take bread and dip it in sugar and then pick up the bread and shake off the excess sugar and eat. We used to eat sugar sandwiches. So I grew up in a sugar rich environment. I'm not diabetic and I'm doing certain things now to, to try to avoid being diabetic. I'm trying to lose some weight and exercising more, etc. But the point I'm making is uh, uh, we used to eat sugar sandwiches and that's much of what is be being presented today. There are many churches today that are called um, seeker friendly churches. That's a term that's being used today in certain circles. Seeker friendly churches. These are churches that are trying to bring people in, but, but without the true cross of Calvary. So you, you may get those members to come in, but if they don't come in through the cross, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But notice that God raised him from the dead. In order for God to raise Jesus from the dead, he had to die. And how did he die? He had to die by the cross. The Jews would have stoned him. The Jews wanted to stone him. But they couldn't because they were living under Roman law. And so because they were living under Roman law, they couldn't stone him. They wanted to stone him. They told Pilate, we want to stone him. But because we're living under Roman law, we can't. Which that, of course, fulfilled prophecy. Because prophecy said that he had to die, quote unquote, on a tree. Cursed is everyone who, cursed is the man who dies on a tree, etc., uh, and Jesus himself predicted he would die on the cross. You know, when, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you, 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 you know who I am, etc. Um, so Jesus himself predicted he would die on the cross. He couldn't die by stoning. He couldn't die by lethal injection. He couldn't die by being hit by a chariot. He had to die on the cross because that is what was, that is what was the will of God. But the spirit of Antichrist wants to present another Jesus, a user-friendly Jesus. You know, Jesus is the friend of sinners, but the spirit of Antichrist or another Jesus or instead of Jesus wants to present Jesus, uh, uh, a non-biblical Jesus, a seeker-friendly Jesus.
right? But your grandmama's Jesus, your great granddaddy's Jesus is the Jesus of the cross. Jesus keep me, Jesus keep me near the cross, right? That's your grandmama's Jesus. That's the biblical Jesus, right? Yeah. So the spirit of Antichrist that we must expose through the lives that we live and the gospel that we preach and teach and witness has to be the Jesus of the cross. Remember, God is not hired up for numbers. He's not. God is not desperate. And because God is not desperate, we dare not be desperate. Let me say that again, then I'll move on. Because God is not desperate for numbers. God is not desperate for numbers. We saw that with the story of Gideon. God is not desperate for numbers. We saw that when Jesus, um, he had all these disciples around him and he began to talk about things that uh, require commitment. And it said in John 6, 6 and 6, it said from that time, many of his disciples turned back and walked no more with him. And then he said to his apostles, will you, will you turn away also? And, G and Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, Jesus wasn't desperate for, if Jesus were desperate for numbers, he wouldn't have started. He, he wouldn't have started saying those hard things in John six about you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He knew that when he started saying that. In other words, he knew that when he started calling for a full commitment, he knew that many of those people who were listening to his teacher teachings, he knew they would turn back, which they did. Jesus said, "I know whom I've chosen." Then he said, "Have I not chosen you twelve? Then he said, "And one of y'all the devil." Jesus knew. Judas, Judas betraying him. That was no surprise to the Lord. It had been prophesied in the, in the Psalms. My own friend who I ate bread uh, has, has lifted up his heel against me. It had been prophesied in the Psalm. Jesus knew. He said, have I not chosen you 12? And one of y'all is a devil, is the devil. And then the devil, of course, you know, uh, in, um, 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 uh, possessed Judas and Judas went out and betrayed him. So my point is, God is not desperate. For numbers. So we expose the spirit of Antichrist. Why? How? By honoring Jesus Christ. Don't, don't ever let anybody make you feel ashamed because you want to honor Jesus Christ, the biblical Jesus. Don't let anybody ever make you feel ashamed. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody make you uh, feel ashamed for saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can come to the Father except by him. Don't ever let anybody make you take back, take that back. That's Bible. That's uh, John 14 and 6. That's Bible. That's the biblical Jesus. But we live in a world today where if you say something like that at your, on your job, at your family picnic, maybe, in, maybe in, within your own home, depending on your home situation. Because many of you are Christians, but you live in a home with non-Christians, right? Or you got cousins who are Muslims or whatever, or, or whatever the case may be. Don't ever let anybody make you ashamed uh, to, of, of saying that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only uh, eternal life. Nobody. Jesus, see, I didn't say it. So here's what you can do. You can tell those people, don't get, why are you mad at God? You're not mad at me. You're mad at God. I didn't say it. I didn't say John 14 and 6. Jesus said it. Go get mad at Jesus and see how far it gets you. You see that? Don't let don't don't ever let anybody make you feel ashamed. Paul said, I, I like what Paul said. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Romans 1 16. It is the power of God and the salvation. See, the devil knows the devil knows the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. That's why the devil wants to dilute it. Paul says it's the power of God and the salvation unto all who believe to the Jew first. The gospel was presented to the Jews first on the day of Pentecost and then to the Gentiles. The gospel was presented to the Gentiles um, in Acts. Peter opened the door of the church to the Jews on, on, on the day of Pentecost. And then he took the keys that Jesus had given him and opened the door of the church to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and, and his people. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, when Paul said that, he wasn't sitting on his couch with two iPads in front of him and, a, and an iPhone and, um, and a, a fan over his head and it's raining outside. And it, Paul said that in the midst of Roman and Jewish persecution. So when Paul said that, he, he, wasn't, you know, he wasn't sitting like I am with a bottle of water <laughs> in front of him, right? He wasn't, actually three iPads, because this iPad is, 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 is recording for... Um, uh, a podcast, and here's an iPhone. Paul didn't have three iPads and an iPhone in front of him. When Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, he was saying it in the midst of Roman and Jewish persecution. And Paul eventually paid paid with his life. He and Both he and Peter uh, were, um, were, were murdered at Nero's chopping block. If you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, the time's about up. My time's about up. Peter said in 2 Peter, my time's about up, even as the Lord Jesus showed me. I believe he's talking about when the Lord the, the Lord showed Peter, when he restored him in John 21, he, he showed Peter that, uh, that that he would die a martyr's death. When, when you are old, Jesus said to Peter, when you're old, men are going to carry you in a way that, that, that you don't desire. He was showing Peter what death he would die. Tradition says he was crucified upside down. I don't know if that's true, but I do know Peter was martyred under, under Emperor Nero, just as Paul was. All of the apostles, according to our information, all of the apostles were martyred, except John, the apostle who wrote uh, 1 John in the Revelation and the Gospel of John. They were martyred. Now, why were they martyred? They were martyred because they stayed true to the biblical Jesus. If they had compromised, they could have, they could have um, saved their lives if they had compromised the gospel and presented another Jesus, a Caesar-friendly Jesus. But they didn't. They didn't compromise. Why was John, why was John, when he wrote Revelation, why was he on the Isle of Patmos? Was he on the Isle of Patmos because he was preaching a Mr. Softy gospel? No, glory to the Lamb of God, no. Why was John on the Isle of Patmos? He said himself in Revelation chapter one, I, John, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation and the kingdom. Glory to the Lamb of God. I, John, I'm your brother. I'm your companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience. You hear that? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was on the Isle of Patmos. Now watch this. He wasn't there on a cruise. He wasn't there practicing social distancing because there was a killer virus. <laughs> John said, I'm on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see that? John, the Roman emperor, Domitian, put John 
banished John, forced social distancing. <laughs> he banished John to the Isle of Patmos, a windswept island about 60 miles off the Aegean coast. He was, he was trying to, uh, this Roman emperor thought he was getting rid of the gospel by getting rid of John. So he puts John on this windswept island. Uh, there are some, there are some uh, who say that John had to, as an old man, had to work in the mines. I don't know if that's true, but I do know he was on the Isle of Patmos. Why was he there? He wasn't there for a, because he was preaching a Mr. Softy gospel, a gospel that appears to your, appeals to your spiritual sweet tooth. He said, I was there for the word of God. And the testimony of Jesus Christ. Glory. I was there because I wouldn't compromise the gospel of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now watch this. John is on the Isle of Patmos. The, the Roman emperor Domitian thinks he's gotten rid of him. What happens when John's on the Isle of Patmos? Remember, you can, you can get rid of the preacher. You can't get rid of the gospel. Right? Paul said... Some of Paul's greatest writings, Philippians, help me out here, Colossians. Uh, I can't remember the other ones. Might have been Ephesians. I think, I think there were four prison epistles. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and I think there's one more, and I can't remember. It might be Philemon, but I can't remember. Paul wrote from prison. Paul wrote from prison. You can bind the preacher. You can't bind the gospel. You can get rid of the preacher. You can kill the dreamer. Glory to God. You can put the dreamer in jail in Birmingham. Glory to the Lamb of God. You can't get rid of the dream. You can't confine the spirit of God. Paul wrote Philippians, Colossians, I think Ephesians, and there's one more letter. They're called his prison epistles. He wrote them from prison, probably with a, probably while chained to a Roman guard. If he wasn't chained, he had Roman guards standing on each side. That's one way a lot of the Roman guards got saved. There were times from what I've studied, there, there are times Paul would preach in the Roman praetorium, the Roman guards would applaud and many of them would get saved. So often God would put us in situations like that because he's trying to reach Remember Paul and Silas, I believe it was Silas, went to jail. And the Philippian jailer put him in jail. And then the Lord shook the prison at midnight. And the Philippian jailer thought that all the prisoners had escaped. And he was about to fall on his sword. And Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And the Philippian jailer fell at Paul and Silas's knees and said, sirs, what must I do? Acts 16, 31. What must I do to be saved? Watch this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your household. Now notice, Paul didn't, Paul didn't go universal Unitarianism on him. Paul didn't say, oh, everybody's saved already. Don't worry about it. You're already saved, Roman jailer. You, you go ahead and pinch some incense to Caesar. It's okay. You're already saved. Don't worry about it. Just go, go ahead and keep pinching incense to Caesar. Go ahead and keep believing that Caesar is God. He's the, no, Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Notice Paul did not compromise the gospel. Paul did not uh, uh, um, give in to the spirit of Antichrist, another Jesus, 
Um, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Not only will you be saved, Mr. Philippian jailer, but your household. Glory to the Lamb of God. I'm telling you. So we defeat the spirit of Antichrist. We grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we stay true to the gospel. Don't We live in an age of compromise. That's all I'm saying. We live in an age of compromise. We live in an age of Unitarianism, universalism. I watched that. I watched, there's a, um, there's a um, movie on, um, I want to say Netflix. Uh, it's called Come Sunday. It's the story about Carlton Pearson and how he said that God spoke to him and said that everybody's already saved. God didn't tell him that because everybody's not already saved. God didn't tell him that. A seducing spirit, a demonic spirit, uh, told him that. God didn't tell Carlton Pearson that everybody's saved. Everybody's not saved. The Philippian jailer wasn't saved until he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say again. Paul didn't say, oh, you already saved. Don't worry about it. Paul said, oh, you want to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And your household, the, the the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah and he was struggling to understand the context of Isaiah, the uh, what we call the fifty third chapter, and 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 the Lord spoke to Philip. Philip had been doing a great revival with great signs and wonders and miracles, and the and the Holy Spirit spoke. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, "Okay, now it's time to leave that revival. I want you to go on down to the south to Gaza, which is desert." In other words, leave this great revival and I need you to go down there. And Philip went down there. He obeyed. He went down there and there was an Ethiopian eunuch returning from worship in Jerusalem. And he was reading the scroll Isaiah, but he was struggling as we often do. He was struggling to understand what the scripture meant. He said, who, he said, because he had read the part where it said he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace shall be upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And the Ethiopian eunuch was struggling to understand the context of the scripture. Who's it talking? Because when you study the Bible, you know, whether you're a preacher or whatever, we often struggle. Well, who's, who is this, especially reading, you know, Old Testament prophecies? Well, who's it talking about? Who is this person talking about? Is, I, is Isaiah talking about himself? Who's he talking about? And, and the Bible says at that moment, Philip opened his mouth and began to preach Jesus Christ unto him. And as he presented Jesus Christ unto him, the, Philipp, the Ethiopian eunuch accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And they came to a body of water. Watch this. This is very important. You got to get this part. They came to a body of water, even though they were in the desert. Glory to the Lamb of God. They came to some water. I don't know how much water, but it was some water. And uh, they stopped the chariot. The, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was, he was in ch charge of, of Queen Candace of, of uh, Ethiopia's. Um, um, uh, he, was, he was the secretary of the treasury. Okay. He stopped the chariot. He said, here's water. What's hindering me from being baptized? Notice what Philip said to him. I'll baptize you if you believe. 
And the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice that. Because Philip had presented a biblical, Philip had presented a biblical Jesus to him. Let me start at verse 35. This is Acts 8.35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture in Isaiah and preached unto him Jesus. As they went their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What's hindering me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believe, this is King James, If thou believest with all thine heart, right? Romans 10, 9, right? Thou mayest. And he answered, Now watch what the, watch what the, watch what the eunuch said. I believe that Jesus Christ is the capital S-O-N, Son of God. That's a biblical. I believe in the biblical Jesus. I believe in, the, remember at this time, there was no New Testament. The New Testament had not yet been compiled. We didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, etc. We didn't have that. So any preaching that was going to be done had to be done out of the Jewish Bible, out of what we call the Old Testament. Right? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, caught away Philip. Because his job was done, right? That the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way, the eunuch, rejoicing. But Philip was found at Exodus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip presented to, to, to the eunuch the biblical Jesus, not the Mr. Softy Jesus. Glory <laughs> to God. All right, let me move on here. Okay. We must be in agreement with the Holy Spirit and expose the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of this age, which denies the Son and therefore denies the Father also. John says in his epistle, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. John said, if you don't have the father, if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. Jesus said in John 5 and 23, all men must honor the son, even as they honor the father. Jesus said, uh, if you don't honor the son, you don't honor the father who sent him. If I send my children to you and you disrespect them and you, you kill them or you, you um, torture them or you slap them around, you disrespected me as their father. If I send my children as envoys, as messengers, the word apostle means sent one. If I send my children to you with a message or whatever, and you disrespect my children, and you slap them around, and you torture them, bind them, or you kill them. Jesus talked about a parable of the king who sent his servants, and they kept persecuting the servants. And then finally the king said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll treat him right. And so the king sent his son and the people to whom the son was sent in the parable, the people said, oh, this is the heir. Let's, let's, let's kill him and take his inheritance. But Jesus was showing the point that he's the son whom the king sent. So if I send my children to you and you disrespect them, torture them and kill or kill them, you've disrespected me, their father. So if you read the end of that parable, the king sent his troops to, 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 to wipe out all those individuals who had disrespected his servants, the, the prophets, right? And then finally disrespected his son, Jesus. Jesus was given that parable.
to Israel, showing that they had persecuted and killed the prophets. And now they were persecuting and about to kill the prophet of all prophets, the son of, of God, Yeshua Hamashiach. Joshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You must honor the Son. If you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. Let me say that again, then I'll move on. If you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. You can't honor the Father and leave the Son out. Jesus said it himself, John 5, 23. Again, don't take my word for it. Jesus said, if you're going to honor the Father, you must honor the Son. So any, any, any religion out there today that, that seeks to honor the Father but won't honor the Son, Jesus said it ain't happening. Can't have, all, he said it, John 5, 23, all must honor the Son. Watch this, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. All right. We grow in grace and knowledge when we abide in the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that, that's okay. This means we must always maintain our spiritual vigilance and diligence about spiritual matters, knowing that Satan comes as a subtle serpent. Satan doesn't always come as a roaring lion. Rawr. You know, the king of the jungle. He also comes as a subtle he usually probably comes as a subtle serpent to undermine biblical authority and teachings. I think I made the point Thursday. I said, it's not the woodpecker on the outside that we have to worry about. It's not the woodpecker on the outside of the building that we have to worry about. It's the termites on the inside of the building. It's not the woodpecker on the outside of the building that we have to worry about. It's the termites on the inside of the building that we have to worry about. All right. We grow in grace and knowledge when we truly anticipate the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in grace and knowledge when we truly anticipate the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should always be in anticipation of his appearing for the church. Let me say this to you. Depending on your school of thought, I don't know what you've been taught, etc. But my school of thought and the school, and the school of thought of, of um, many conservative um, commentators and theologians and preachers, our school of thought is there are no more prophecies that have to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back for the church. Let me say that again. Our school of thought, and this is not the school of thought of all Christians. There are many Christians who don't believe this. It doesn't mean they're not Christians. It just means they might believe something different. Our school of thought, premillennialism, where we're, I'm, I'm a premillennialist. I'm a, I'm a pre-tribulation rapture person. Our school of thought is there are no more biblical prophecies that have to be fulfilled before Jesus returns for the church. Now, there are many biblical prophecies that still have to be fulfilled before the uh, before Jesus comes back to the earth to set up his uh, what we call millennial kingdom. I'm not saying there are no more. I'm not saying I'm not saying there are no. I'm, I can't talk. I'm not saying there are no. I'm not saying there are no more biblical prophecies that have to be fulfilled. I'm not saying that there are. Right. There are many that have to be fulfilled. If you read the Old Testament, there are many biblical prophecies that still haven't been fulfilled yet. 
I'm saying there, according to those of us who are what we call premillennialists, pre-tribulation rapture believers, and I'm, I'm one of them. But there are many born-again, sincere Christian brethren and sisters who don't believe this. So this is not, you know, saying that they're not, they're just as holy as I am, okay? I'm saying that those of us who are in the premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture position we do not believe that there are any more prophecies that have to be fulfilled before jesus returns for the church not jesus returning to the earth we believe that jesus returning to the church for the church and jesus returning to the earth are two separate events now, there are many of our brethren who don't believe that, and that's fine. But those of us who believe that Jesus, those of us who believe that Jesus is returning for the church in the air, we don't believe there are any more scriptures that have to be, prophecies, I should say, that have to be fulfilled. And so one way we, uh, as far as Jesus coming back for the church, and so we grow in grace as we enter, as Christians, we should anticipate the Lord's return. I find it very amazing that so few, I'm not going to say none because I, I don't know what's going on, on, on all around the world, but as far as American Christianity, and I have to be careful here because American Christianity only represents a small part of Christianity. You got millions of Christians in Africa and Asia, Latin America. I get that. But if the American sampling is indicative of what's going on around the world, there are very few sermons that call us to anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. First Thessalonians, Paul's first, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian Christians. We know about chapter four. I'll, I'll talk about chapter four in, in, a, in, a, in a minute. But first Thessalonians has something about the return of Jesus. It has five chapters. It has something about the return of Jesus in each of the five chapters. We know about the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. That's chapter four. And most of us know about that one. But if you were to go through the if you were to go through the Thessalonian uh, epistle, there's something about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in every each of the five chapters. Let me let me briefly show you the end of chapter one, first Thessalonians. Paul says. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come so at the end of what we call chapter one we know originally these letters didn't have chapters and all that but what we call the end of chapter one Paul says we are waiting for Jesus to we are waiting for God's son to come from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Did you hear that? Jesus delivered us who believe from the wrath to come. 
Jesus, by saving us, Jesus, by saving us, delivered us from the wrath to come. There's a coming day of wrath. We call it the day of the Lord. It's spoken of a lot in the Old Testament. It's called the day, capital D, of the Lord, capital L. The day of the Lord. That's where, that's where you get a lot of your material from the book of Revelation, especially chapters 6 through 19. The day of the Lord, the Old Testament, I'm going to paraphrase here. The day of the Lord, you know, shall come with terrible lightning and thunder and etc. Yeah, I'm just paraphrasing. You know, Zephaniah, Joel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, right? the, even the minor prophets. But notice, we wait for his son from heaven. Now, how does that help us grow? We grow as we anticipate his, his coming for us. One thing that prophecy is supposed to do, it, it, it doesn't just quench our curiosity about the future. Biblical prophecy is supposed to also call us to to to, to um to um um holy purity to biblical purity. As we watch, well, I, I think I use the analogy. If you go out of town and you don't tell your children when you're coming back, they're going to tend to behave a little bit better than if you tell them, "Well, we're leaving town. We won't be back for six months." <laughs> You tell your kids, you won't, your teenage kids especially, you tell your teenage kids you won't be back for six months, boy. Especially if you got a swimming pool in the backyard and, and some liquor in the house, <laughs> some guns, some, uh, you know, 500 channels on the <laughs> You tell your kids we won't be back for six months. You got some teenage kids, but if they don't know when you're coming back, they're going to tend more to straighten up and fly right because they don't know when you're coming back. They don't know if you're coming back the next day. We don't know when Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I'll be back in 2000 years. We don't know. So anticipating his coming should call us to uh, sanctification, to, to be set aside for God's holy purpose. So that was at the end of, of second Thessalonians chapter one. Sec, end of second, I'm sorry, first Thessalonians. That was at the end of first Thessalonians chapter one. Listen to first Thessalonians chapter two at the end. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, at once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? That's the end of, 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 if I said 2 Thessalonians, I meant first. That's the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He keeps talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he comes for the church in the air. And then he comes back to the earth with the church in Revelation chapter 19. Now again, uh, if you ask 200 Christians about the coming of the Lord Jesus, you might get 46 opinions. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this is a... Then we go to chapter 3. End of chapter 3. To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So whether that's talking about rapture or talking about Jesus coming back to the earth, 
I don't know. I would have to study it further. But it does talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the, and then the chapter that's most familiar to many of us as Christians is chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And this term asleep.